This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now look, y'all, it is crazy outside. There's all kinds of stuff going on. If you are working a nine to five, you're probably stressed out about keeping your nine to five. If you don't have a nine to five, you're probably in the middle of trying to get a new nine to five. Or maybe you made the crazy leap to be a full-time entrepreneur like me. You got the world on fire all around you, middle of elections year. A lot of stuff going on. It's just, it's absolutely nuts, right? It's nuts outside. And I could definitely see, I'll speak for me. Look, for me, I know I be going to therapy on a regular basis. I believe in therapy, all right? Hashtag uh, black folks need therapy. Hashtag we all need therapy. We all need it. And for me, I can say if it wasn't for therapy being like an ongoing maintenance tool in my toolkit to help me stay level and help me realize that I'm okay, everything around me is okay, here's what I can control, that has been critical for me. And I would hope that if you have thought about therapy, and if, or if you haven't thought about therapy, shoot, let's say you're like, like I ain't got time for therapy, I got, I'm too busy trying to make sure that these plates keep on spinning, I hope that you check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online. It's completely convenient, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, keyword licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, which is incredible. It's very challenging to move around and find the right therapist for you. The fact that BetterHelp is providing that as just part of your experience is incredible. So find your support, get the help you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash corp today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash corp, C-O-R-P. Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mama. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. At the time of this recording, we received recent news that handbag designer Kate Spade and celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain both committed apparent suicide. These tragic deaths have increased awareness and open conversations about the risk associated with mental health illnesses. The CDC says suicide rates have gone up in almost every state since 1999. Suicide is one of the top causes of death in the United States. And a majority of those who died by suicide didn't have a mental health condition, but suffered from things like relationships, financial stress, physical and mental health problems, as well as substance abuse. If we dig a little further into the details and look at people of color, we find that mental health illnesses among people of color are similar with those in the general population. However, disparities exist in regard to mental health care services 
that contribute to people of color not receiving proper support or treatment in order to feel better. Researchers found that black and Hispanic young people are less able to get mental health services than white children and young adults. This happens despite the fact that rates of mental health illnesses are generally consistent across ethnicities, according to a report from Kaiser Health. 62% of non-Hispanic black individuals will experience a major depressive episode, but only a small percentage will actually seek mental health care. Suicide rates among Native American women have nearly doubled within the last decade. First and second generation Hispanics are significantly more likely to exhibit symptoms of depression than other immigrants. Additionally, Latino adolescents who experience discrimination related to stress are more likely to experience anxiety, depression, and issues with sleep, according to research conducted by faculty members at New York University. Black and Latinos are less likely to be diagnosed with ADHD, even though they show symptoms at the same rate as white people. Undiagnosed ADHD, on the other hand, particularly its high association with risky behavior, drug use, and depression can even be deadly. All of these data points about mental health disparities experienced by people of color are only compounded by the reality that the workplace is also a source of stress for a majority of Americans, according to multiple studies, such as the American Institute of Stress. So if people of color are generally less likely to have access to quality mental health care services and are also in environments where the average person is often stressed, what can be done to better support mental wellness? My name is Latricia, and this is Living Corporate. So today we're talking about mental wellness in the workplace and what it looks like for people of color to pursue and maintain mental wellness. This is such an important topic. A common thing that I found while doing some of the research on this topic is that we start to see racial and ethnic disparities when it comes to access to mental health as early as adolescence. And these disparities often become exacerbated over time, so it's no surprise when people of color transition into adulthood and there are significant disparities in the severity of their mental health condition that impact their experiences in the workplace. It's interesting that you bring up adolescence. I never really thought about the impact of untreated conditions people are usually diagnosed with during childhood, such as autism and ADHD. Right. When we do actually talk about mental health, which isn't often enough, we primarily focus on psychiatric conditions such as anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and we often leave out neurodevelopmental conditions such as ASD, which stands for Autism Spectrum Disorder, and ADHD. I think it's important for us to discuss a broad spectrum of mental health conditions too, so that when we can raise awareness and understanding about the diversity of mental health conditions in ways we can be more inclusive when it comes to making sure everyone has access to the care that they need to manage their mental well-being, you know? I totally agree. And on the topic of access, as we were doing some of the research and planning for the show, I thought about my own engagement with mental health resources, and I realized I haven't really been as engaged in this space as I could have been. I mean, I'm working in corporate America. I have access to quality care, but when I do go through those bouts of depression or anxiety, 
I kind of just work through it and assume, you know, this is just going to go away. I've never thought maybe this is the time for me to seek a mental health provider and find out, you know, are there other ways for me to cope besides working, working it off or, you know, just putting it off. Um, And so just going through some of the statistics, I'm seeing that this is actually very common amongst people of color. I don't know if you remember this viral tweet that went out. A employee actually reached out to their CEO and said, I need to take a day off of work for my mental health. And the CEO responded applauding her for taking a day off for mental health. I've never, and I've never really thought about that before, like taking off work for mental health. I'll take off work if I'm really, really sick, like throwing up or something, TMI. (laughs) But but I don't take it off just to like settle myself. Yeah, I remember when that went viral. And I can tell you, I've never even thought to do that. Never with that type of intention, you know? Um, And and it's just interesting to me because I've definitely been very stressed out at work, but my default is just to push through it. Like, I'm stressed, but that's work. You know, I'll grind. And, you know, we're consultants, so it's not out of the ordinary for us to work 65-plus-hour weeks, and including weekends, whatever. There's a certain pride to it, though, to be honest, like to say, yeah, I'm working. Oh, yeah, no, I'm working. I'm working. I'm working. I'm working. And it's, it's almost like, I don't know, out of nowhere, you start just feeling down or really exhausted mentally. I'm just more prone to be frustrated or annoyed at stuff that doesn't matter during these times. It's almost like I'm barring against credit, but that credit is my personal wellness. Because all those extra hours, awkward exchanges, crazy deadlines, tone deaf comments from my boss, they all just come rushing back. Hmm, that's an interesting analogy. So when you say credit, basically you're saying your account's in the negative once you're trying to work through some of the mental conditions that you're dealing with. Right. And my point is, I definitely understand that mental health matters and mental wellness matters. Of course, we have the common points around how mental care in the black and brown communities are ostracized and how we're told to pray it away and stuff like that. Yeah, that's also the case in the Nigerian community. Some of y'all may not know I'm Nigerian American and having conversations about mental health and depression, it's very taboo. Um, if you're dealing with some of those things, that you, then you're crazy or you're possessed or it's some type of juju, as we say. And there's a lot of stigma when it comes to going to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And so it's just something growing up I wasn't exposed to, this idea of seeking access to mental health care. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because on the promo trailer for Living Corporate, we we talked about the fact that we won't always have all the answers, right? And this is a situation where we definitely don't have, you know, any answers, really, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. We really don't. And it would be great if we could bring a guest who is a mental health expert, like a person of color who has graduated from medical school and is currently in a residency program at a top five program for psychiatry in the nation. Or perhaps we have a little bonus this episode and bring an additional guest, someone who is a PhD candidate in developmental neuropsychology, whose research focuses on autism spectrum disorder and its impact on people of color. Oh, you mean like our two guests, Dr. Toby Adunsi and PhD candidate Nonye Nwosu Kanu? Come on, sound man, drop them and drop, give me some extras because we got an extra guest on the show. Come on.
All right, so next we're going to go into our interviews with our guest, Dr. Toby Odunsi and PhD candidate Nanye Uwosu Kanu. Hey y'all, this is Latricia, and today we're talking about a really important topic, which is mental health in the workplace. We're really excited to have two guests on the show today. We have Dr. Toby Odunsi, who is a resident physician in psychiatry, and we also have PhD candidate Nanya Nwosu, who studies neurodevelopmental and cognitive psychology in children. And so we're really excited to have a conversation about mental health and self-care and how you can make sure that you're managing issues such as uh, and make sure you're managing issues such as depression and anxiety and stress. But we also want to expand the conversation a little bit more and talk about this concept of neurodiversity. And so we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. Toby, it's so nice to have you on the show. She's going to kick us off and she's going to talk to us a little bit more about psychiatry. So uh, Toby, could you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thanks, Latricia. Um, like Latricia said, my name is Toby Adunsi. I'm really excited for what you guys are doing on this show. I'm so excited to talk about mental health today with you guys. I am a second year psychiatry resident, and I um, study psychiatry, which is a branch of medicine that focuses on diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of mental, emotional, and behavioral disorders, things that range from anxiety and depression all the way to autism, ADHD, and PTSD. Um, and so I, um, really excited. Cool. Cool. So as you know, this conversation today is about mental wellness in corporate America and really within the context of underrepresented groups. Also, we're expanding it again, like I said, different neurological presentations and developmental presentations and kind of how mental health is intersectional across all of those identities. And earlier in the show, we shared um, some, some statistics around some of those disparities as we talked about, specifically some racial disparities that we see in uh, mental health and mental health practices. So let me ask you this, you know, being an ethnic minority, what inspired you to go into mental health? Were, were there some disparities that kind of sparked your interest and you wanted to study? This is a very, very good question. I get this a lot, actually. So my interest in psychiatry actually started before I went into medical school. Uh, there's it's three. I'm going to go into three different things that got me interested in psychiatry. I noticed that I am really, really interested in why human beings behave the way that they do. So that interest was there. The second thing was that I have a brother who is on the autism spectrum, and I was just interested in seeing what, you know, how do these mental health workers work with that. And third thing was I noticed that there was an underrepresentation of black or African, because I'm Nigerian, uh, psychiatrist in in the field and I wanted to be able to be a part of that and I also felt like if I was going to be in medicine I would make the most difference by being in psychiatry so just a short brief version of why I decided to go in psychiatry so all of those things together were the reason my brother just general interest and where I could I felt like I could make the most difference in medicine 
Definitely. And, you know, some of those statistics that we shared earlier in the show there, it's really frustrating and, and it's it's hard to really grasp because we see a lot of uh, we see a high prevalence of mental health issues in black and brown communities specifically. And but we're not seeing a lot of people going and getting help and counseling and therapy. So can you talk a little bit about the stigma that's associated with mental health in black and brown communities? Yeah, and a lot of this is gonna be more like personal opinion and maybe some research to it, but I believe a lot of black and brown communities, the way we are raised or the way our culture is, is we believe in, I wanna say saving faith sometimes and also you know, very religious backgrounds. And so there is that stigma to mental health issues. I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, actually, uh, one of my family members said Nigerians are not depressed. And, you know, I think that is a huge myth. Actually, there's statistics that show that, you know, blacks or African-Americans, about 20% of them are likely to have more serious mental health issues because, they don't get help until they're like critically ill. And I think a lot of that is because of the stigma behind it. A lot of people think you can pray things away and you know, mental health stuff isn't real. This is not something that affects us. We don't talk to other people about our issues. We just pray to God. And so I unclear exactly where this stems from, but I think it's just the way our culture is and we're very religious and just, just kind of how things go with us. Yeah, I totally agree. I can relate to that as well, being Nigerian. And it's just not something that um, people are very comfortable talking about. Depression, again, you can just pray these things away. I, but one of my questions is, you know, we understand kind of what our what some of those core values are in some of those communities. What is the mental health community doing to make sure that they're able to reach those groups so if their values are prayer or there's issues with you know just being comfortable and being open like what is the mental health community doing now to try to reach out and and address the stigma Hmm, let me think about this a little bit psychiatrists get together and have meetings they're putting together different documents or data you know about underrepresented minorities in the country and you know the mental health disparities in those countries and kind of in those groups i mean and um putting out data to inform people and i think this could vary depending on the psychiatrist but educating yourself a lot about the community putting yourself out there educating people because I think the problem and the thing with stigma is people are not educated enough and so people holding you know different um uh what you call this name okay that's what do you call those things like a health festival or things yeah health fairs you know going to churches because there's a guy in my residency program who goes to a church and talks to people in the church about mental health situations because a lot of black people are in the church. So going to the church, talking about depression, PTSD, trauma, racial-based trauma, going to the communities where you know minorities gather, it's 
is a way to kind of reach out to them and let them know that, you know, you have this struggle, this is normal, and there's ways for you to get these things treated. For myself personally, I have a master's degree in public health. I, I, I considered myself to be pretty well educated, went to really good schools, but I'm still even a little, I guess, unfamiliar with the mental health community. And based on conversations that I've had with people, one of the common, I guess, issues that a lot of minorities face when they get into corporate America is this idea that you're the only one, so you need to make sure you go above and beyond to prove that you deserve to be there. And it causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And you'll see, you'll see a lot of minorities tend to burn out early because they don't know how to deal with that stress. And these are communities that are typically more highly educated. So my question for you is, can you address this idea that you have to overwork? And more so, could you focus on kind of like the, the impact that can have on your body, on your health, on your mental wellness? Because I don't think we really truly understand that this can really cause psychological, physiological damage to your your health, um, but we're so focused on overworking, proving ourselves. So could you speak a little bit on maybe what you've seen with clients um, or just maybe just what could be the physiological impact of that? Good question. So I'd like to say, and I, I kind of agree you know, being a minority in the workplace, you often feel that you have to work twice as hard to get what your other counterparts get in the workplace. Um, and that could be very, very stressful on your body. A lot of times we say, you know, the things that are important are you getting good sleep, exercise, and eating well. And if these things aren't in tune, you start to get some stress on your body because you know you have a cortisol dump or a cortisol overload and you're stressed out you're right you do need the support from your family your friends your network and your employers um, in a sense so it's important to know about your diagnosis it's important to understand you know what this means for you moving forward and how you're going to continue to live a normal life at work and just in your personal life and so I guess that uh, leads me to my last question, which is really just about maintenance long-term. So some of these diagnoses can be long-term, from my understanding. Like you could be diagnosed with bipolar, and it's probably something that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. So could you talk a little bit more about just that long-term maintenance and establishing you know, a state where you are mentally healthy or maybe somebody may call mental health happiness just talking about how you just maintain yeah that's a very very good question and a lot of times when I'm speaking with patients or just people in general I often like to compare mental health issues with diabetes they're both chronic illnesses and a lot of times not only is a patient dealing with that their family members are dealing with that and so in order to be successful, you need to continue to follow up with your mental health providers. You need to keep taking your medications. You need to engage in activities that give you know, make you happy or provide some type of benefit for you mentally, like exercising or meditation or some type of hobbies. 
Um, I always tell people just because, you know, you check your sugars today when you have diabetes and they're great does not mean you're going to stop taking your insulin. The same thing applies with mental health issues. Just because you are having a good day or you had a several amount of weeks where you're doing well doesn't mean you're going to stop going to see your mental health providers or stop taking your medicines or stop engaging in all of those activities that you've been doing to make sure you keep a normal healthy life you know you need to keep doing those things every day so that you're able to continue to be functional in society stress with the body you know can increase your cortisol level which is a stress hormone you um you know either weight gain or not sleeping well and overall just not feeling good at all and so what i try to talk to patients about or work with patients on is ways to cope with that stress so there's different things that you can do without necessarily getting into medications exercise I know a lot of people are like, what, exercise? There's been studies that actually show that exercise works just as well as SSRIs, which are the first line for a lot of depressive and anxiety disorders. So exercising can make a huge difference in how you're feeling or dealing with stress. Also sleep, which a lot of times when you're under stress, you're not sleeping so well, but being able to get a good amount of sleep can help with whatever stress issues you have. Now, let's say you're not the exercise type or you just have poor sleeping habits. What can you do? Well, meditation. Um, one app that I use is called Insight Timer, and I recommend this to a lot of people because it has different kinds of meditations that you can use. And just being able to take a five-minute break while you're at work when you feel like everything is overwhelming, everyone is coming to you, making you do all of these things, just go to that, put in, you know, work break. And it has a little bit of a meditation, five to 10 minutes that can kind of calm your hormones down, get your stress levels a little bit down, and you can get back into the workplace and do what you got to do. Yeah, those are all really important things, making sure you're getting your exercise, you're getting your sleep, you're taking those mini breaks in order to prevent, you know, exacerbating the issue like you said cortisol levels all this science stuff but um, it could really lead to um, a more serious condition if you're not taking care of yourself and allowing yourself to just overwork and overstress so my next question for you is when do you know that you may need to see a mental health provider good question Uh, I get this question a lot from a lot of people Um, and so mental health, I'd like to start with that ranges, like we said, from the, in the beginning of the podcast, from anxiety to ADHD, to autism, to PTSD, um, depending on what you are experiencing, things become a problem when they start to affect your daily life. They start to affect your functioning. They start to affect you being able to go to work, being able to hang out with friends. That's one of the big signs I would say of when you need to get help so I will start with like depression because a lot of people tend to relate to this or understand this sadness is a normal emotion just like you can be happy you can be angry you could be sad it is normal now when does it start to get into depression depression is when you feel like this is lingering With sadness, for example, let's say you got into an argument with a friend and you feel sad about it, that can maybe last for an hour during that day. Maybe you think about it the next day, the day after, and it kind of goes away. away. 
But with depression, that kind of lingers. That sadness stays there. You suddenly don't feel like doing things that you like to do anymore. You suddenly feel like you don't want to be around people. Maybe in some situations, you start to feel like life isn't worth living. A lot of times when you start to notice those signs, you start to think to yourself, maybe I need to see somebody. So there's the normal stuff, like the sadness, and there's the stuff that is kind of far away from the norm where you're not being yourself. So you're withdrawn from people and you're starting to think that it might be better you're not alive anymore. Usually that's when I would say, okay, you need to go see somebody. And sometimes maybe the feeling of sadness might linger for a week, but if it's going on a little bit more than a week, I would suggest, okay, going to talk to somebody and they could kind of evaluate you or kind of go through some of those things that you're thinking and see if there's a maybe some type of depression or anxiety or something causing you to feel the way that you feel. I think using depression as an example is really good. I think a lot of people can definitely relate to that. A lot of people in our audience as well, um, you know, when you're in your 20s, that's typically when people experience sometimes their first psychotic break. And so it's very important to be aware of some of those signs um, that you mentioned and actually take action to see a healthcare provider. So my next question is, how do you select a healthcare provider? I know for me, I've um, done my research just trying to look for a mental health provider, and I still haven't been able to find one yet. Um, I have decent insurance through my job, and I've been looking for a PhD or MD psychologist or psychiatrist that I can go see, but I'm also looking for one that's a person of color. And like, as you mentioned before, you don't see a lot of people of color in that field. So could you talk a little bit more about like strategies on how to find somebody that you're look that you could relate to? I know there's other levels of psychology, masters and other forms. Like, could you just explain that breakdown? Yes. Um, this is actually one of my favorite things to talk about. There's so many people that could provide mental health services. Um, like Latricia was saying, you have your psychiatrist, which is a medical doctor, goes to medical school, does a psychiatry residency. They provide you know, medication treatment and they also provide therapy services. And then you have your clinical psychologist, a lot of them who have a PhD in clinical psychology, or some people have a, you know, a PhD PhD in education with maybe a concentration in some uh, therapy services. You have your licensed uh, professional counselors. You have your medical, your social workers, um, a lot of them with a master's in that and have a training in therapy. And you also have your nurses or nurse practitioners that also do that kind of stuff. Uh, there's different ways to find people. The American Psychiatric Association has a find a provider tab where you can look up psychiatrists in your area, I believe by zip code, and you can find a provider on there. Same with the American Psychological Association. You can go on there and find that. Uh, some friends we've worked on looking at, I believe it's the Black Psychologist Association. I can't remember the exact one, but if you looked up like Black, I think, yeah, AP Psy. And they have a find a provider tab and you can find people on there actually if you're more particular about what your person looks like. Also, recently I stumbled upon something called the Open Path uh, Therapy Initiative, which is a 
nationwide. Uh, it's, so it's a nonprofit organization that has partnered with different um, mental health providers in all 50 states. And it's this is mostly for people with no insurance or are underinsured. And if you go on there, you pay a one-time $49 fee and you can find many providers in your areas by just putting in your zip code. I actually know somebody that's used the service and told me when she looked it up, she found like six black therapists in her area. And so that is something that appears to be very legit in finding a provider. I know it's very, very difficult to find a psychiatrist or psychologist without, you know, asking someone else who's used those services before. But another thing that people can do, and if you if you have insurance and you often use your insurance, is your insurance has a list of providers that provide services for you. And so if your insurance covers behavioral health services, you should be able to find mental health providers that accept your insurance if they do so. And for those that don't accept insurance, you know, you can also Google um, and find some providers. But those those resources I mentioned earlier are pretty legit in terms of, you know, providers that are out there that can provide mental health services for you. And in my opinion, and this is not like a science-based type of thing, all of these people are trained and have to take exams to be licensed to do therapy or provide medical, you know, provide mental health services to people. And so whether you pick a psychiatrist versus a psychologist or a social worker or a professional counselor, you're going to get good service. That's all. That's good stuff. So we'll make sure we list all of those resources in the description of this podcast, as well as on our show notes online. So everyone that's listening can go and check that out. And I'm glad you made that clarification. I've been looking for doctorates, not knowing that you know, a master's degree level or social worker, a LPC could provide those same services if I'm looking for therapy or counseling. And that really does expand your options. And so that's also really important. Once you do go through that process of working with a mental health provider, you may become diagnosed with some type of mental health issue. Could you talk a little bit about what that's like our job as a provider is to be supportive and to educate the patient on what their mental health disorder is. What does this mean for you? As a provider, what I often tend to do, especially if they have no experience in this, is explain what does this mean to me. So discussing with them what does depression mean or anxiety mean or bipolar disorder mean or borderline personality disorder mean and how does it affect you know, my life moving forward is what I try to do them. So on the topic of being the only one at work or the other at work, um, that brings me to this video that our college classmate <laughs> put out about two years ago. Some of y'all that are listening in right now, you may know Evelyn from the internets. And if you don't know Evelyn from the internets, I don't know like where you've been, but you need to maybe even pause the pod. You need to maybe even pause the podcast and look up Evelyn from the internet. She is hilarious. So maybe about two years ago, Evelyn put out a video and it was after a series of videos 
that went viral about black death. So we remember Trayvon Martin. We remember Alton Sterling. And we remember seeing lots of images online and lots of debates online. And if I go back to that time, and even today we're still seeing it, I try to stay away and not even click on it sometimes. But when I go back to those moments, I remember just feeling down and going back to work and no one's talking about it. And if they are talking about it, it's they're, they're seeing it from a perspective that is very narrow-minded. And so Evelyn put out a video called Calling in Black. So on those days where you just feel like this is a lot, this is a lot to deal with, this is a lot for me to process right now, I'm going through, sometimes going through trauma or PTSD, and I don't think I can function at work today. I don't think I want to be around people who don't care about this issue. And so... The video was about calling in black. And we'll, we'll drop a little clip. So sound man, drop a little clip so they can hear what we're talking about. Sometimes I need a minute, okay? And that's where calling in black would be so clutch. Oh no, no, it's not contagious. I need a solid day to reaffirm my humanity to myself. So I'll see you tomorrow. Oh no, 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 it's not allergies. It's just, um, I just watched the police choke somebody to death and I know they're not gonna go to jail for it. So see you at 11. Have a slight fever. Boiling with the rage of the police killing my people. So Toby, that bit, that's it's funny, right? Evelyn, she's she's hilarious. So I mean, what do you think about that? Calling this idea of calling in black and doing that to preserve your mental health. Honestly, like we might not necessarily call it calling in black, but I, you know. There's a reason they give you five days off or, you know, sick days. And if you need to take a mental health day, I am all for it. I totally believe that in order to function 100%, your mind has to be right. I always tell people, if your mind isn't right, you don't sleep well, you don't eat, you don't do well. Mind isn't right, physical body isn't right, you can't function at work. And so if there is something that affects your mental health and you feel like you just can't function, take that day off. I mean, there's all of those days there. What are you going to do by going to work if you don't feel great? And, you know, you're sitting there in your cubicle or whatever it is, office space, sitting there angry, broiling, you know, about the situation and there's no one you can talk to, go home or stay home and take that day off get yourself right because in order for you to be 100% where you need to be you need to take that break go hang out with other black people and talk to somebody about the situation go talk to your therapist about it go work out I am totally for taking those days off as a matter of fact you know I know I don't have that many days to take off but I try <laughs> to take you know one day off at least a month just to just give myself a break because in order to for your physical body to be good your mental health has to be good if you're not mentally right and I know I've said this multiple times you're not able to do anything else so I'm all for it I agree with Evelyn I will call in black whenever I need to and take the time that I need to whenever I have to. I agree I mean working in corporate America it's such a 
fast-paced and competitive environment and I am guilty of not using my PTO like I will max out my PTO and never use it but I do have those days where I'm at work and I'm like this I'm not functioning right I should have just taken off and taken a break and so yes we're gonna let y'all know everyone that's listening if you need to just take a mental health day whether you have a diagnosis or you don't have a diagnosis Take that time for yourself. You have your sick days, your PTO for a reason. Take the time off. It's not good for your health to put yourself in very stressful environments when, you know, you you need time to cope. You need time to sit and <laughs> just, you know, deal with what you're going through. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. All right. Yes. That's so important. Just maintaining your, your mental health and maintaining what's happiness to you is going to be very important for you to be sustainable, especially in a corporate and fast-paced environment. You need to make sure that you're performing at your best and you're at full health. And so thank you so much, Toby, for just talking to us about mental health and just making it very easy to comprehend and understand because I know for a lot of people, it's foreign territory, whether they're educated or not. It's foreign to so many people, especially underrepresented groups. And so I really do appreciate you for taking your time out. I know residency life is no joke. I know y'all work crazy hours. So I'm so grateful that you had the time to sit with us. And we're going to make sure we leave all of your contact information below. Before we let you go, Toby, do you have any shout outs that you like to give? I don't know. I don't know. Like, if you if you want to shout out, like, your um, your YouTube channel, your Instagram, let them know. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, so I'd like to share my Instagram page with you guys. It is at where is Toby, where is T-O-B-I. And um, from time to time, I will share either mental health facts or do some mental health trivia. Uh, in the long term, I'm working on creating a mental health page where we can talk about everything mental health, whether it's bipolar disorder or autism or schizophrenia, whatever it is you like to be. I'm all about educating people on mental health because like Latricia said, a lot of people don't understand it. And I think, you know, what you don't know can actually hurt you. So I will be working on that. But in the meantime, y'all can follow my personal Instagram page, where is Toby? Thank you. Thank you so much, Toby. That was such a great interview. It was really good to just at a high level understand mental health. How do you find a practitioner? If you do become diagnosed with a mental health illness, you know, this is what you can do to make sure that you maintain your health long term, which is really important. So we're doing something a little different. We have our second interviewer, PhD candidate, Nanye Wosu. And she's going to talk to us a little bit more about uh, this concept of neurodiversity. So before we dive into that, Nanye, could you just introduce yourself and let us know your background? Hi. Okay. I'm Nanye Nosu. Yep. And so I am a PhD, a doctoral candidate in developmental psychology. Um, I will be obtaining my uh, PhD at Georgia State University. And my research foci are in early development early child development, language development, um, the role of parental responsivity and essentially um, early childhood experiences and intervention. 
and ramifications that that has long term. And so I have always had a great passion um, around, centered around mental health, um, psychology. Psychology has been a passion for a very long time. I've always known I wanted to be a psychologist and focus on talking with people, interacting with people. I've always really enjoyed um, learning about people's experiences and kind of on my own mapping what that means onto who, onto how they present themselves and, and who they become. So the topic today is really close to my heart and I think very important. Yes, I totally agree. I think when we talk about mental health, when we do talk about it, which is not very often, a lot of the times the focus is on depression and anxiety, bipolar disorder, and we're not always bringing into the conversation other forms of maybe neurological disorders or conditions that can also impact your mental that can also impact your experiences in the workplace and i've been reading a lot about this new concept of neurodiversity which talks about the diversity in neurological abilities of people and so we see those that are so-called neurotypical and then those are neuroatypical so people with autism or adhd or autism spectrum disorder. And, you know, we don't really talk a lot about how those conditions impact your experiences in the workplace. And so, Narnia, could you just talk a little bit more about neurodiversity? What is the movement all about? Right. So that's a good question. And I think I failed to mention that autism spectrum disorder is really the central part of, of my research work and my passion. And um, autism is it's a, it's a condition that has really come to the forefront, especially for um, the, in, within society that, that we, we have more awareness of, more acknowledgement of, and more discussion surrounding. And interestingly enough, the research is kind of lagging behind in putting enough information out there regarding um, the transitionary period. So early adulthood, late adulthood, many people don't get diagnosed until much later so uh it's not that the research is scant but there's there's a lot of information we've got gaps in the literature and in the science regarding what this topic around autism neurodiversity means or neurodiversity kind of more globally and i think um so i think it's something that we are we're again putting more acknowledgement and focus on and understanding the the promises and the the good fortune of of of, of appreciating that we can put people people are really different people have got a varying spectrum of ability and disability but more so kind of ability and they've got they've got a varying degree of things that they can bring to all kinds of dis uh, fields and figuring out how we can utilize people's skills and talents and so I see neurodiversity as really being this, um, this, this, this hedge, this torchbearer for how we're going to really move forward and trudge through the trenches and get to the bottom of how we can be more inclusive and more um, appreciative of the things that people are bringing to the table. A lot of the things that we talk about within my field are how to get, you know, 
it kind of makes me think of like Solange's album, A Siege at the Table. We want to be able to give everyone an opportunity to have a seat at the table, you know, a, a place in the workforce and, um, and to be useful. And I talk about autism a lot because it is my um, research, it is my research area. But one number that I hear quite often, I hear the number 82% and I've heard around 60 to 80%, 60 to 80% of, of functional individuals who are on the spectrum uh, don't, are, are, are unemployed and, and, and seen as being unemployable. And that, be, that is essentially because we haven't acknowledged or entirely appreciated this topic of neurodiversity being able to see individuals as neurodivergent. And what we say there is essentially is that we have this idea of how people should be thinking, how people should be talking, how people should be presenting themselves within, across, across fields, across jobs, across vocations. And perhaps we shouldn't be so stringent with our um, guidelines. And we can appreciate that, okay, just because this person doesn't have strengths in in interpersonal social communication or, you know, isn't the best at giving research presentations, well, perhaps maybe we can, we can utilize the fact that they're excellent coders. They can pay great attention to, to detail. They, um, they can, they can sit endlessly for hours and, 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 and bang out numbers and, 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 and provide us with all kinds of statistics instead of just assuming that, well, because, they don't want to be talking at the water cooler with everybody or because at lunch they sit by themselves that they're kind of worthless or they make people uncomfortable because they're, you know, um, socially withdrawn. But more so, neurodiversity acknowledges that everybody can have a place in the workforce, a seat at the table, and we can make them a part of the team and utilize their skill sets and, and perhaps even our deficits and our skill sets as well. That's all really important. And you, you used a lot of terminology that everyone may not totally be familiar with. So could you kind of break down what some of the language means? So what does it mean to be neurodivergent or neurodiverse or neurotypical? Could you kind of break that down for us? Okay, so yeah, that's a very important point. Um, we don't want to get to, we can't not acknowledge jargon as being used here. So I think, so for me, my understanding of neurodiversity is that this, this movement, excuse me, this this frame, this theoretical framework, this belief that individuals come to the table with a varying amount of cognitive ability, cognitive skill, and um, fluency in, in in behavior, and and again, it centers really around cognitive ability. So this notion that if you break it down, neuro being you know brain, biologically brain, and um, diversity being different, that we've got a varying amount of skill and deficits in different areas. And it's not just the people who've got these labels or who, who are termed with um, biological disorders that have things that are different about them or quote unquote wrong with them. So acknowledging that we've all got things and um, it can mean it can mean anything really. Uh, neurodivergent, what, I, what I'm talking about there is this you know, you know, taking from anything. So when you've got this kind of baseline or this blueprint for how things are supposed to be typically, so we talk about neurotypicality, individuals who are essentially, and this is really rudimentary and really rough because as, as Toby has talked about, or Dr. Dunsey has talked about, like there is a varying amount of, um, of, of 
I guess, ability, one of the things that you often mention with mental health or mental illness is, you know, you're considering something a mental illness when it's become, um, it's leading to distress or dysfunction or disabilities, right? So I've always had a hard time understanding neurotypicality because while people are presenting themselves to be functional, it doesn't entirely mean that they are, right? But I guess essentially the, the, the excellent, the literature recognize, or the, the society recognizes neurotypicality as people who are essentially just normal, maybe people who are not on the spectrum, people who don't have these tangible or, or visible illnesses or disabilities that disallow them to, um, to participate in everyday life. And then neurodivergent being related to the neurotypicality in that they're essentially, um, they're essentially diverging from that, that framework or that blueprint that you have in understanding what is normal. So when we talk a lot in my field about development, we look at it as being typical or atypical. And I see neurodivergency as being something atypical that's kind of moving away from how we see neurotypicality. So an individual who's on the spectrum may be considered neurodivergent because they may have a very unique way of approaching problems or a very unique approach to, to working and you may consider them to be neurodivergent. Could you also list some of the... Um, individuals who may be considered neurodivergent, yeah, may present with, you know, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, individuals who, you know, maybe even have generalized anxiety disorder. So these are people who kind of have a global, uh, pervasive, um, impairing way. Like, anxiety is really impairing to them in across um, circumstances, events, situations. Um, I would see people who are, have Down syndrome as, as, as well being involved in kind of adding to that neurodivergency, people who have fragile X. Um, and if you think more about people who maybe are not, we're not talking about um, neurodevelopmental or neurobiological disorder, people who Neurodivergency can you it can be seen and like I said generalized anxiety disorder you can see it in um, people perhaps who have OCD um, people who have OCD obsessive compulsive disorder uh, people who just have a different approach I believe in 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 seeing things and thinking about that. Great. Thank you so much for just kind of explaining to us some of these terms and the different ways that people may present themselves cognitively in society and obviously in the workplace as well. I think it's important for everyone that's listening in, whether you identify or um, would be classified as neurotypical or neuroatypical or neurodivergent, it's important to be aware of these things because we talk a lot in corporate America about diversity and inclusion and, you know, race and gender and sexuality. Those tend to be uh, the biggest focus point. And neurodiversity, with it being, quote unquote, a, a newer movement, it's not something that we talk about a lot and these conversations can be very difficult because we're having to we're having to look at work differently and we're having to really focus in now on people's strengths and how we can 
how we can tap into those strengths and improve our businesses. Because as you were mentioning before, you may be neuroatypical, but you're a really good coder, or you can sit for like sit for hours and crunch numbers, but you know, you may have language issues. You may, you know, stutter or other forms of things that are cognitively impaired, but um, a lot of times we write you off uh, because of that. And we're not truly maximizing everyone's potential in the workplace. And there is a true business case for maximizing potential, obviously, right? Um, So could you talk a little bit about workplace relationships? Because I think everyone needs to, to hear this. Based on your experience, you know, in your research or with your clients that you've worked with, how has the transition into the workplace been for those who are maybe neuroatypical? Do you see increased social anxiety? Do you see um, those people tend to be outcasted by employers or by other employees? What have you seen just in your research? I think it's important for us to talk about this and have a better understanding. So much of existing within the corporate stratosphere and the workforce has to do with how you can promote yourself, interact with people, um, and and just exist, right? And, and, and not even just exist. Essentially, it's just kind of how you're able to relate to people. And so for these individuals, we're seeing lots of things with, and especially with you're having a much more difficult time than those who could be just as similar as you, but on the um, the appearance level, color level, not look similar to, not look exactly similar to you. So, a lot of my interest has been in the in minority populations as well, and so I kind of consume myself with that literature. And right, I totally agree. When you talk a little bit about the culture of corporate America. Of course, every company is different and every company has its own, um, I guess, cultural fit. But there are some standards, I guess, in corporate America and not saying standard by meaning this is the best practice, but there are certain ways that we operate in corporate America. And again, talking about diversity and inclusion, you know, what are we doing to kind of rethink some of our cultural norms and think about who's being excluded and what talent are we missing out on because we've created a culture that makes certain people feel uncomfortable. We talk we talk about race, we talk about gender. You know, what other social norms are making other populations uncomfortable and what can we do in corporate America to make the place more inclusive? So that leads me to my next question about just creating environments that people who are neurodivergent can feel comfortable in. So could you speak a little bit about what what is happening right now that you maybe come across in your research to make the workplace more inclusive to those who are neurodivergent? Right. That's... <sighs> um, I think we are, again, like I've said, science, the world... It, society can, can be behind in, in guessing with the times, if you will, but I see promise and initiatives and um, efforts that are being made. One thing, a couple things that co- jump to mind, and you, you do happen to see this in bigger cities, kind of 
where you've got a big university or organizational presence and, and, and maybe more nonprofits. But I have participated in something called the LEND Fellowship, the Leadership Education and Neurodevelopmental Disabilities Fellowship, twice. And uh, more recently, one that I participated in was helmed by the Center for um, Leadership and Disability the, at Georgia State University, where they tasked themselves with taking very seriously hiring, employing, and getting uh, what we call self-advocates, individual advocates out there to talk about their experiences. One thing I had a loss about was getting a seat at the table and not just having representatives come in and talk about your experience when you have the, the very right ability to talk about your experience yourself. And so you see that a lot happening in, in, in more educational settings and maybe more scientific organizations and agencies as well, where they're trying to make efforts to employ, to get people in councils who represent the issues that they're discussing. Um, parents have been really, really excellent in not only advocating for their children um, within school settings and systems and more in their communities, but on the legislative level in Congress and um, Capitol Hill as well. And I think um, another thing that, that jumps to mind too is um, universities who have like Georgia Tech has like the Excel program, people who are really trying to um, promote and prioritize, not even just bringing individuals to have a seat at the table and talk about their experiences, but presenting them with very structured opportunities and experiences where they can matriculate into the workforce and into areas of which that they feel successful in and not even just workforce, but Excel, for example, having these inclusive environments where you're making them a part of the university, um, the campus life atmosphere, and, 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 and having them be a part of discussions that are being had around not just what's going on with them, but broader discussions and, 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 and politics and, and workplace life and, and exercise. That's one thing that I liked about uh, that program as well. So these are for individuals. I, and, and what I also appreciate about this is too, this is a range spectrum of ability and less about kind of IQ, but more about adaptive kind of daily living functioning. So not just how well you're doing in your classes, but are you shifting the emphasis to things like, are you able to, you know, get up in the morning, brush your teeth, put your clothes on and, 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 and go to, to classes? Or are you able to, if you can do all those things, if you know, if you, you're highly academically intelligent, are you able to, to be organized, keep a schedule and show up to work on time and to enter these kinds of things and if they're not we can we can help you um and including the community within that so again i think about excel but they've they've done things where they've got you know in atlanta there are a number of of, of companies who have them who are headquartered out here places like delta chick-fil-a and talking to these individuals seeing what they're interested in seeing what they're good at and giving them opportunities to be a part of these bigger organizations and contribute what they can contribute. Like I said, these are happening in, in, in bigger cities. And so that can be a little bit, that doesn't essentially entirely promote this idea of inclusivity, but efforts are being made. And I think it starts with acknowledgement and understanding things like what this podcast is doing and um, 
recognizing the varying spectrum of ability and contribution and just yourself if you can being that person i've met i met a man out here who uh is the district manager for a chick-fil-a he owns a chick-fil-a franchise and, and makes an important focus on hiring individuals who have disabilities and who if they can't be at the front register interacting with individuals giving them something to do and these individuals want to work they want to be a part um and they usually do not take for granted the fact that someone has given them some kind of opportunity and someone is willing to kind of, um, to, to work with them. And, and sometimes they may require extra effort. Maybe someone who's going to spend a little bit more time training them who can look out for them and watch out for them. But I think it can be acknowledged that if, if, that if the story has been, they can't contribute to the workforce or they can't contribute to, to life. And we're not seeing that then, things can and should change. That's great. You listed off a lot of really good resources. And again, in addition to what Toby listed off, we will list all those resources in our show notes so people can go in and see, you know, what's what's being done out there to create more inclusive environments, what's going on in our community, you know, do we have access to universities that we can partner with, that we can learn from, because this is a topic that if you're not, you know, if you don't have someone close to you that may be affected by this, it's not really on a lot of people's radars. And I really liked some of those stories that you share just to know that, you know, we're, we're trying to work on creating this, a more open culture. So having people who may present with some of these neuroatypical disorders to speak out and be open about their experiences and having, you know, more advocacy is all going to be really important because the, the awareness is where I, I personally feel we're lacking. Um, I haven't heard a lot of conversations about this in my experience over three years now in corporate America. It's not something that we've really talked about in the diversity and inclusion discussion. So again, you know, it's great to hear that, you know, there are organizations out there that are trying to push this forward and we really want to get this message out to our audience so that they can go back to their organizations and start to really think about how we can create a more open culture, how can we raise more awareness, and what can we do structurally to help make sure that everyone feels welcome? Like, what can we do with our workspaces? What can we do in terms of like how we socialize and how can we be more aware? So thank you so much for educating us on this topic. I know it's you come from a PhD background, like you can go into all the science and stuff like that, but you were able to present it in a way that's e- easily digestible. And hopefully everyone was able to take something away from this discussion. So great. Well, thank you so much again, Nanye. It was so nice to have you on the show. Um, again, you and Dr. Odunsi, very busy people. And so it's really great that y'all are uh, taking time to give back and Um, talk to people about this very important issue. Thank you so so much for having us, Latricia. And um, I am appreciative for any opportunity to talk about the good, the bad and the the ugly, honestly, and and to figure out how we can find a place and contribute. And again, just like you said, the most important aspect is awareness. And, you know, awareness does not exist without dialogue and discussion and, and the ability to be vulnerable and have discussions and, and, and learn from that. I totally agree. So before we let you go, do you have any shout outs? I want to give a shout out to Living Corporate because this is a big deal. 
<laughs> thank you, thank you. What you guys are doing is very, I mean, it's it's a very unique approach that you're taking to having a very important discussion and and really capitalizing, I think, on on a number of this a number of kind of different zeitgeists that are happening. Um, I will give a shout out to the Green White Green, to my uh, people, the culture, just for my appreciation for understanding so much, so much of like who I am has, has is, is related to, as a child developmental psychologist, right? So much of, I think, who I am and, and the way I see the world is, is related to um, what I've learned from the people around me, from my neighborhoods, from my, my networks, from my friends, and over time. and. Um, uh, I also think I want to give a, a really big shout out to, to my mentor at the CDC, Dr. Marshall Amir Ganalsop, who has, he's, you know, a maverick, he's a pioneer in leading the Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network, who has, she spearheaded essentially a really big, uh, the, the people who put out our prevalence numbers, the, 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 the research that goes into having a better understanding of prevalence, of a number of neurodevelopmental disabilities and from that they're also getting there's so much more effort to understand um, ethnic and racial differences and and within these developmental disabilities and they're finding a lot of things and saying that we need to target that and, and charge that as well so and to dr Obinzi for being a hero thanks so much uh well definitely any other any of those shout outs that you would like for us to share in the notes, we'll put that in there as well. So thanks again for joining the show. It was really great conversation with Dr. Odunsi and future Dr. Nanya Wosu. So thanks again. And that's all we have. And we're back. Patricia, that was a great interview. I feel like I learned a lot. And I have some additional tools in my toolkit to deal with anxiety, self-care, and really leveraging my own resources. I know for me, I need to be more intentional with my own care and how I manage myself. Just looking at the statistics, they're eye-opening, but they honestly weren't that shocking. How did you feel about the interview? I agree. The statistics really aren't that shocking when you take a moment and really self-reflect on your own experiences with mental health in the workplace. Another really important takeaway for me was the importance of expanding the diversity and inclusion conversation to also be more inclusive of the varieties and the diversities of mental health abilities and understanding that we all bring different strengths to the table. So what can we do in the corporate space to be more open and understanding of that concept, of that very important concept? No, you're absolutely right. And when you talk about diversity and inclusion, again, like it really matters and it comes into play with everything in our society. It doesn't mean that we're making it about race. It doesn't mean that we're trying to create a, a new narrative or whatever else the other buzz phrases are. It's about being honest and really thinking through how people of color have to live and move in this society. Um, and I think it's really going to be important that we list all of the different resources and references that were made during the interview that we put those in the in the show notes as well you know 
Certainly. We'll make sure that everything is listed in the show notes uh, so you can get access to those resources related to how to find a mental health provider or other mental health institutions that are out there that can help you um, deal with some of your mental health concerns. And I also want to give a shout out to a couple of other podcasts that really are centered around this topic of mental health that our audience may find interesting. Uh, There's Therapy for Black Girls, the Affirm Podcast, Black in Therapy Podcast, with that being said, podcast, and Melanin and Mental Health. And we'll link these in the description as well. Those are great shout outs. And I definitely want to actually include Dion Ivory's Black Girl in Ohm and Lauren Ash Black Girl in Ohm podcast. I know we just had them on the B side, but they're actually really good and they fit into this niche well around mental wellness, therapy, self care. Um, so it's really good. Now, With that being said, let's get into favorite things, okay? And I'm going to go ahead and kick it off. My favorite thing right now is yet another book, but it's not an aggressive book title this time, okay? It's called Real Food, What to Eat and Why. As many of you know, diet plays an important role in mental health. So knowing what to fuel your body with is important. Patricia, what is your favorite thing right now? So I know I give Amazon a shout out all the time. So, you know, we do need to pitch to Amazon for sponsorship <laughs> because I'm always giving them shout outs, but Amazon is, it's so clutch. So kind of, again, on that topic of mental health, I've really been working on trying to get back on my workout grind. Cause as Dr. Odunsi said in the interview, um, exercise is a great way to cope with um, different mental health illnesses or conditions that you're dealing with. And as a consultant, again, we travel a lot and sometimes work very odd hours. So I may not leave the client site before the gym closes and so I'm trying to find more ways to work out in my hotel room so I've really been enjoying some of the different products that I've purchased from Amazon's travel equipment travel workout equipment and so I'll link some of the workout equipment that I use on a daily basis awesome and look guys remember the favorite things that we talk about on the show are also listed on the website so check those out um and i think that's gonna do it for us on living corporate thank you for joining the show make sure to follow us on instagram at living corporate twitter at living corp underscore pod and subscribe to our newsletter through living-corporate.com if you have a question you'd like for us to answer and read on the show make sure you email us at living corporate podcast at gmail.com and i think that does it for us on the show my name is zach And I'm Latricia. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.